Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Potomac Perspective. I'm Neil Shapiro, Head of Communications at Stiefel, joined, as always, by our Chief Washington Policy Strategist, Brian Gardner. Brian, how are you? I'm doing well, Neil. Good morning. Good to be with you again. Good to be with you as well. We're officially done with football, so we're going to have a couple of weeks before we talk baseball, I guess. Uh, we can we can start right now. Pitchers and catchers are reported. We're, we're ready to go. I'm ready to go. Everyone's in first place in February and March, as we know. That's right. But, you know, the Super Bowl is done. I I thought it was a great game. I know you're neither one of our teams were in it, but I enjoyed it. Oh, my! One of my teams was in it. I was a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. Oh, well, I, yeah. yeah. By for, default. For the, for the day, I was a huge Kansas City fan. Thank you, Kansas City. Sorry, yes. Philadelphia. Thank you, Kansas City. Well, look, it was a great game, and I agree that one call does not make a game, but Kansas City benefited, ironically, from calls that went their way in both the AFC Championship game and the Super Bowl, last-minute, late calls. Again, hard to say that they are the deciding yeah. factor of the game, but they definitely benefited exactly. from two calls. Yeah, I mean, if, if the call at the end of the game, first of all, when the defensive player admits after the game that it was holding and yeah. that he was hoping to get away with it. That one, that's a, an indication it wasn't as bad a call as everybody makes it out to be. Um, and the other is uh, it, it, did, you know, it was, it was late in the game. Kansas city was going to score the, you know, the question is how much time the Eagles yeah. would have had to respond. Yeah. They would have had no and, timeouts. They would have had yeah. no timeouts. I mean, they would have probably had about a minute and 15, a minute and 20 seconds. They would have needed just a field goal. It was very possible, but you just never, ever know. And then the game could have went into overtime and who knows where that would have went. Sure. So I mean, I think the Eagles were classy about it. Nobody really blamed the refs, and they all said that that you know they had other opportunities, and to blame it on one play is is you know unrealistic. But anyway, the one thing I don't know about you, Brian, but as I was not at the Super Bowl, um, I don't think you were either. I was not. No, but I was watching, and I kept waiting to see you know, the Goodyear blimp or whoever sponsors the blimp these days, I might be dating myself with Goodyear unless they're still the sponsor. I don't know. Um, but I was waiting to see the blimp over the stadium. And I thought, well, will it be the blimp? Will it be a balloon? Will it be an alien spaceship? I wasn't really sure. So maybe that's where we start, Brian. And we talk about the, this crazy story of these balloons over the United States, multiple locations. Um Obviously, China is very much in the mix with all of this. And we've talked before about U.S.-China relations and how that might be coming to the forefront. What now, now that we've had this, these incidents, where are we with all of this um, you know, China stuff? So, you know, let's take a step back. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, um, Secretary of State Blinken was hoping to make a trip that was canceled because of the, the first incursion, the first known incursion. Um, as China was opening up, post-COVID, relaxing their COVID restrictions, I think there was at least some hope that maybe relations would start to normalize and thaw a little bit. That's out of the question right now, at yeah. least for the, for the near term. For the time being, the possibility of thawing relations between the two countries is on hold. Um, so that's on international foreign policy, but there are economic ramifications. So for the economy and economic policy, this probably means that tariffs on Chinese goods uh, will remain in place. And just as a background for people who have forgotten, in 2018, the Trump administration yep. uh, imposed 
about thir- uh, tariffs on about 1,300 items uh, imported from China. Um, under the law that the Trump administration used to impose those, um, you just can't do this willy-nilly. You have to follow the law when doing it. And that law requires that after four years, uh, the government review the tariffs. And that's what the administration has been doing um, since late, uh, mid to late 2022. Um, and so the, the process has been going on. Um, I, I think the expectation has had been that the bulk of the tariffs were going to stay in place. Mm-hmm. And this is before the, the, the balloon incidents. You know, they were supported by both members of both parties, China hawks in both parties, pro-labor lawmakers in the Democratic Party who, who love the tariffs. Um, there was some speculation that a small number of tariffs on finished goods um, might be repealed or modified. Um, people within the administration uh, who are worried about inflation were arguing in favor of some modifications there to, to relieve inflation. But the chances of rep- of a wide-scale repeal or modification, that's out the window with, with the balloons. That, the, the, the balloon incident, the balloons being shot down have shot down the prospects yeah. Of changes in tariffs, so that, that that that's the on economic policy. That's the biggest takeaway right now. Yeah, and I know that the uh, the president's State of the Union address was before the balloon incidents, but even still, um, President Biden did not really talk much about China in that speech. He did speak quite a bit about entitlements. Um, so, what do you make of comments in that area? So it's um, it's part of the battle over the debt ceiling and and fiscal management of the government. Um, Republican Senator Rick Scott has been floating an idea of sunsetting all laws. This is actually this is something that that Biden as a senator a couple of decades ago had floated as well. Um, but Scott floated the, refloated the idea of sunsetting all laws, including Medicare and Social, Social Security after five years and forcing Congress to reauthorize them. The idea is that you you basically jettison laws that you don't need anymore and you let and so they don't stick around and, and grow deep roots. Anyway, um, so the president's weaponizing this proposal against all Republicans, despite the fact that Mitch McConnell's rejecting it. Um, Speaker McCarthy's come out and said that Medicare and Social Security are off the table for the debt ceiling debate um, and the negotiations. Um, so that, that that's kind of at the heart of what was going on here. Um, this presents a, a separate problem of what what concessions Republicans can hope to extract during these debt ceiling talks. And we've talked about this before, but interest on the debt plus Medicare plus Social Security, that's around 71% of annual spending. Yeah. If you throw in defense spending, that's another much. 14%. You're now at 85% roughly yeah. of total spending. So there's not a lot to negotiate over during these debt ceiling talks. But Biden was clearly trying to position himself kind of a a reasonable per- person who is going to protect voters from those bad Republicans who are going to uh, to cut your um, your social safety net benefits. Yeah, I saw Senator Schumer was on uh, one of the talk shows on Sunday, basically reiterate hammering home that message as well. Um, you know, the other thing that the president did spend quite a bit of time during the State of the Union address talking about were regulatory actions that uh, his administration has has taken, especially, you know, he, he keeps mentioning this, um, what he calls, I guess, junk fees. Um, what do you what do you make of that? Yeah, you know, we, we talked about it before that the the 
the speech was going to be a you know a, a preview of the uh, of the campaign, the upcoming campaign. And I think part of this messaging and the policy is trying to undercut Republicans' shift to be to being a party of the working class. Um, they are attracting more uh, more minority voters, more minority group voters. They are attracting more um, uh, voters without a college education. It's a more of a blue collar working class party than it has been in the past. And I think Biden is trying to reconnect with those folks. That's that's kind of his background um, traditionally. Um, so he's trying to show them that he's on the side of the working class by using government to fight unpopular fees on airline charges, bank fees. Uh, the CFPB, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, a couple of weeks ago proposed lowering the cap on credit card leap fees. And we can debate whether that's a good idea or not. It, 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 it comes with trade-offs because uh, banks are going to have to make up the revenue elsewhere. And it's supposed to be a... a a disincentive, the fee is supposed to be a disincentive for, for or an incentive for people to pay on time. Um, um, CFPB may follow up later this year with a proposal to cap overdraft fees as well. Uh, these are all going to get fought by by the industry. Um, but again, it's, it's all about connecting with the working class um, against big yeah. business, big banks, big corporations. Well, maybe he could look at the fee is that, and I don't know if this is a thing where you are, Brian, in Washington, but in the New York area, this this credit card fee when you go to a restaurant that started during COVID at like an extra two or three percent has now ballooned in a restaurant that I was at recently to four and three quarters percent if you want to use a credit card. Yeah, that that uh, our our uh, our colleague over on the KBW side, Sanjay Sakrani, who covers the credit card sector and pay, the payment sector. Uh, Sanjay can get into deep, the deep weeds on this, uh, on interchange fees and the like. Yep. Um, it's uh, it's a very contentious battle um, on what can and cannot be charged, uh, and uh, the battle going back and forth between the retailers and uh, well, and the the financial institutions, the banks. Uh, that that's probably a subject for a whole different. Yeah, podcast. it is. And we well, well, have to get Sanjay on here to get to get really uh, yeah weeds on well, that one. As a PR communications guy, I do applaud the restaurant that I was at that has now raised this to four and three quarters percent. They certainly are spinning it the right way. They are raising the total price by four and three quarters percent and offering a cash discount if you don't pay by credit card. So rather than char- rather than labeling it a credit card fee, they've spun it into a cash discount. So I give them credit from the PR side, but it's still a lot in my opinion. Okay. Anyway, enough about the fees. Um, the other thing that might be of interest to really a lot of our audience, Brian, is something else that the president has talked about, which is uh, doing away with non-compete clauses. Um, what do you, like? What's the outlook on that? So, um, you know, a, a lot of workers when they get hired for a new job, they enter into a non-compete. Uh, there's a non-compete clause within their employment contract. That's basically a promise not to go work for a competitor for whatever period of time. Uh, state courts have limited the, the scope of those non-competes, but now at the federal level, the Federal Trade Commission is proposing to eliminate pretty much all of them mm-hmm. um, across the board. Uh, according to the FTC, the proposal doesn't cover t- uh, some restrictions like a, a non-disclosure uh, agreement um, or a non-solicitation agreement. Those would stay in right, place. That's different. 
that's different. Um, but the the uh, the non compete clause uh, would be out. Uh, I, I think some businesses are going to vigorously fight the proposal, both on policy and legal grounds. The policy is that um, despite NDAs or non-solicitation agreements being in, you know, uh, you're still at risk for um, the uh, the exposition of trade secrets, losing business to competitors, um, having them lured away by employees that move. Um, also, businesses, you know, spend a lot of money increasing worker training, and mm-hmm. that you know they they expect that the you know the the non-compete will help retain that worker. Um, that's why they spend that money on that worker. Um, so that that's the policy argument, uh, part of the policy arguments. So also could be some legal challenges. Um, you know, do, does the FTC have the legal authority to impose this ban? I think it's a uh, an open question. Um, I've seen some commentary on both sides of the issue, um, but it, it's going to be litigated. So speaking of competing, uh, we mentioned in our last. Uh, podcast, we talked about the State of the Union being a sort of a soft opening for our uh, President Biden re-election campaign. We know now on the Republican side, he has at least one other declared um, uh, opposition Two. candidate. Two. Well, at least one more, right? We knew about yes. Trump. Now yes, Haley is one more. Yes. Yep. Right. Yep. So now there's one more. So he's got two on the Republican side. Um, now that you've heard the president's State of the Union and and the reaction, where do you think we are in terms of 2024 now? So the the, the speech reinforced to me um, the idea that Biden's running again, um, and kind of previewed the themes of the campaign. Um, now, if he runs, he's not going to be challenged by any credible Democrat. Um, uh, if he changes his mind, the field would be open. But look, if you go back through history, um, anytime an incumbent is is challenged within their own party, it leads to a loss uh, yeah. of, of the for the incumbent. So if you go back 76, Ronald Reagan challenging Gerald Ford, 1980, Ted Kennedy against Jimmy Carter, 1992, Pat Buchanan takes on George Bush. The incumbents all lost. They won their primaries. They were renominated. Right. But they lost the general. Um, um, so he's going to run. He's not going to be challenged. If he changes his mind, the field's open. Um, the vice president would certainly be interested in running. A couple of governors, a couple of senators. Um, there are a couple of names that have been floated before that probably won't run. Uh, I have in mind Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Um, this is not written in stone, subject to change. But if Biden were not to run, um, would both of them rethink their stance? Possibly, but they run into two, both of them run into the same problems. One, they're both up for re-election for their Senate seats in 2024. So do they want, you know, you can't, as a practical matter, you cannot do both. Uh, it'd be very, it would be difficult. Um the other, which is even more difficult, uh, is the age issue. Um, you know, if Biden doesn't run, uh, would Democrats look for, you know, a new generation? I mean, yeah. part part of the issue for Biden is that there are already uh, people within the party that want a fresh face because he is 81. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Bernie Sanders would be 83 yeah. by the time he's elected. Um, and Elizabeth Warren would be 75. Um, so, um, the age issue, um, which, you know, we all dance around, so we don't like to talk about it. It would, it would become a, an issue for both of them if, if this all plays out. And again, let me reiterate, I think Biden's running. I'm very so confident the, he's running. 
let me ask you before we get to the Republicans. So let me ask you this. So confident Biden is running again, equally as confident that Harris is uh, on the ticket this time around, too. Or is that up for you know discussion as well? I am confident, although less confident that really? she would be back on the on the ticket. Um, it's very tough to move out. A vice president. It I was going to ask you, is there what, what I mean, I can't remember the precedent for that. I, I think you'd have to go back to 1944. Yeah, you would have been I, there. I, 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 I was. Yeah, it, um, you know, there were tough times. You know, you, yeah. we, were, we were fighting the war. We were fighting the Germans, um, the, you know, the, in uh, in Animal House terms. You know, we were recovering from the Germans invasion of Pearl Harbor. Um, not only was I not a thought then, I don't even believe in 1944, either of my parents was a thought, but I'm. Anyway, um, but anyway, um, there was a change in 44. Uh, Vice President Wallace Is that the last was, one. OK, I, I think so. Um, yeah, it's hard to, uh, you know, let's, you know, let's quickly. Nixon ran both times with Ike. Yeah. Um, uh, they wanted uh, to dump quail. There was all this talk about them. dumping. Yeah, quail, I mean, that was probably the most uh, vocal. I remember debate. that um, there was some debate. Not a lot, but there was some debate in 2012 about Biden maybe being replaced with Obama. It didn't get a lot of attention, but it was there. Mm. Um, but these things don't happen very often. Right. That, that's that's the main point. Got it. So okay. why, why don't we switch over to the Republicans? Yes. Um, so we now have two candidates, two announced candidates, uh, former President Trump and former U.N. ambassador and former South Carolina governor, Nikki Haley. Um, they have both announced Haley just uh, this morning as we're speaking. Um, there are a couple that are organizing. They're clearly making their plans and getting ready. Ron DeSantis from Florida, Mike Pompeo, the former secretary of state. Um, DeSantis probably not going to get an announcement for a couple of months until the Florida legislative session ends. He wants to be seen as governing, not running. Um, and I don't think he's in a hurry. Um, there are others that could get in the race. Um, I do think this is going to be a smaller field than what we've seen in the past couple of cycles from the Democrats in 2020 and from the Republicans in 2016. Um, and I guess my, my main takeaway is a smaller field helps a DeSantis. Yeah. Um, in a Republican field, I think President Trump is always going to have 30 to 35. Yeah, his core, his core his people. Core and they're never going to let else get split among a lot of candidates. It, and he, he, he it, it yeah, there, there are a bunch of polls out have been for the last couple of months about at the national level and some key early states. And there's some disagreement about who's first, who's second. But but there's a clear takeaway. It's Trump and DeSantis. Right. And mm-hmm. everybody else is in the rearview mirror. Um you didn't mention Pence. Is he still in in the mix, or is this whole this whole uh, classified document? Is he getting caught up in that too now? Well, he's caught up in it. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a game changer. Uh, he faces the same um, challenges that he did before the document issue started to emerge, which mm-hmm. is running against your old boss. The optics of that are really hard. Um, yeah. uh, not to mention that th- that Trump core that we just talked about. They're never going to forgive. Nope. Like Pence, uh, at least right now, down the road, he's still a young man. He still has a future. I wouldn't rule out another run down the road, depending on how everything else turns out. A lot of factors there. But for now, I don't know what his plans are, whether he's going to run or not, but he would face a a, a big challenge. But the yeah. small field helps DeSantis, like I was saying, that that core will stick with Trump. 
DeSantis can kind of consolidate the non-Trump vote. If it's a larger field, Trump with that 30, 35%, Enough. it's tough to beat because yeah. the non-Trump uh, vote will be dispersed against more candidates. And, you know, Trump didn't win overwhelmingly in 2016, right? He won by enough consistently with that 30 to 40% back then that he was able to, to win primaries and, and salt away the nomination. But, um, you know, this time is a little different. Um, he's not the new guy anymore. He's a little bit older, maybe lost a little something off of his fastball. His ability to expand beyond that 30, 35 yeah. number is going to be really tough. Um, and he has a record now to run. Like he does, he, absolutely. Record. Yes. Yep. Um, and what about, you know, I'll just throw a curveball at you here as we wait baseball season. Um, you know, we didn't see this. We don't know what would have happened in 2016 because Trump ultimately won the nomination. But, you know, knowing Trump, if he didn't win the Republican nomination, could he potentially still run as an independent candidate? Yes. He can't win that way, but he can play. Right. But he could, he could disrupt yes. the election that yes. way, for sure. Um because uh, we, it yeah. was everyone thought 2016 that could potentially happen. It didn't come to that because he won the nomination. But who knows how that would have went? Right. Um, so a couple of things on that. One is um, it's time consuming and expensive to get on all those ballots across the country. That's why it doesn't happen very often. You have to go back to 1992, right. and you need time to do it. You need time yes. to do it. Um, so he would face that. Um, he's he would be assured of losing. Right. Make no mistake about it. I mean, we, we people have underestimated Donald Trump in the past, but this one, you can be very confident he would lose. And that would mark him down as a, as a two-time loser. And does he want that as part of his legacy? Yeah. You know, I, I, I you know, I'm reluctant to, to read too much into his mind, um, but it, it's a valid question. Um yeah. So yeah, he he can play spoiler, but he can't win that way. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Well, we'll have plenty to talk about. That's for sure. Yes, we will. God Which bless them for uh, for keeping us uh, with with plenty of content and keeping us employed. Yeah. Which, which is a tease to make sure you watch the watch, make sure you join us next time um, because that's it. We're out of time for, for this episode of Potomac Perspective. Brian, thanks as always. Thank you, Neil. And thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you in a couple of weeks with a new episode. Take care.